Welcome to another episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. We are especially excited tonight because we are recording this live in front of a studio audience, and we are also joined by several experts in ministry. We welcome Ojis Anamdar and Katie Smith, who work with the middle school and high school youth ministry, as well as young adult ministry. Today, we are talking about what parents can do when their children do not want to come to Mass. As always, our faith begins in home, and a person's desire for Mass can be strengthened by actions taken by the family. Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop, building the church at home, a place where faith and family meet. Insight from a priest, a mother, and a whole bunch of others. I'm Emily Lugo. And I'm Father Jason Cargo. Join us as we enter St. Joseph's Workshop. Good evening, everybody. All right, no. Um, I welcome all you guys who are with us. Uh, uh, so Chuck, welcome, and, and Casey, and Emilio, and everyone else who's listening and who's with us. So I'm just so pumped and excited. You know what? I've been ready for this the whole day. I decided to wear Archbishop Fulton Sheen socks. So I, I was like, I got to get Archbishop Fulton Sheen going. And so, I, you know, I have these socks and he has a microphone and there's a, the Blessed Sacrament and just really cool. Of course, you know that I like to wear fun socks, right? So That's true. You know, so yeah. anyway, I want to hear like, what kind of fun socks did you guys most recently wear? Uh, I actually wore my Fulton Sheen socks. Today? Uh, not today. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> you have Fulton Sheen I socks I do, as well? from Sock Religious, yes. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, I think it's just I wore mismatched socks because I can't see in the dark. Okay. Well, that that, that, that would happen. Okay. Yeah. I've I've it. done that plenty too. So, <laughs> all right. Now that the spotlight is on, uh, Katie and Emily. I have Our Lady of Guadalupe socks, which is pretty fun. But it's funny; they're kind of like skin toned colored which is interesting so when i wear them but our lady of guadalupe is in black but then the rest of the sock is kind of skin tone color so, so it, it looks, looks like, like i have a tattoo you have a tattoo <laughs> sock of our lady, our lady guadalupe. guadalupe yeah and and i'm not sure if i'd put a tattoo like in the on the lower shin I, right? that's not a place that you normally would have but but anyway yeah all right so. emily I, I unfortunately cannot add to this conversation. I don't have any fun <laughs> socks. The last time I wore them was probably in college when it was the toe socks and that was in, but no, no fun socks on my head. Oh, gotcha. Well, I, you, you guys know I like to wear lots of fun socks. So uh, we're doing this before a, a live studio audience. And so it's kind of fun and uh, to have this and, and we have a, this is videotaped. A lot of times we just do the podcast in our little sound booth. And so we, we have the videotape as well. And so hopefully people will really enjoy uh, this time. This is kind of a first for me. I don't know about you guys, but, um, uh, so it, it's always good to do something first. Well, you know, um, I want to ask another question. So I, I want to hear like, you know, we know all people, we all know people who, um, have struggled with going to, to mass, right? And that's the whole topic, right? So to, to think about how we can um, encourage people to go to mass. You know, Emily, I'm going to put you on the spot. So you have been active in your faith from a very early age. In an earlier episode, like in second grade, you were teaching catechism, right? Yes. You know, I can't even remember. I was like blowing up bullfrogs when I was in second grade. So, <laughs> I mean, so did you ever not want to go to mass? Yeah, so I do. I, I did think about this um, when I was in high school. I attended the DCYC, the Dallas Catholic Youth Conference for the Fort Worth Diocese, and I actually picked a workshop which was about 
mass is boring because I did go through that phase. I think we've probably all gone through that phase where we just felt like we weren't getting a lot out of mass. Um, that was a long time ago. And the only thing that I can remember that the speaker said in that talk was mass isn't boring. If you're bored in mass, you're boring. Like you're not the one who's getting engaged. So he kind of threw it back on us that we needed to get engaged and get active. Um, so I definitely went through that hump in, in my life. And I think many people do. And, and hopefully in today's episode, we'll be able to give a lot of information on how to get engaged so that we're not boring and mass isn't boring and we're having a big party. Yes, <laughs> indeed. You know, I remember when I was in like elementary school, I would sit there and count how many light bulbs are in the ceiling, you know, <laughs> or count how many uh, pages were in the missalette. Um, but anyway, anyway, yeah, I like that, that statement. You know, it's not that mass is boring, but that we're boring because we, we're not uh, excited about, we're not able to see what's actually happening. I've heard of other people that say that if we actually saw and knew what was happening at mass, that it, we would need crash helmets because we'd be blown away, right? <laughs> I mean, it'd be so amazing and awesome. Um, you know, as a priest, I think at times, uh, I will say that the mass is, is amazing and awesome. I pray every single time or almost every single time I say, Lord, help me to celebrate this mass as if it's my first, my last, and my only mass. And the reason why I do that is because, yeah, if I'm celebrating, like I've done way too many masses in a weekend before, um, I've done up to nine. And so if, if I'm celebrating that many, which I'm really not, your priest is really not supposed to, but if I'm celebrating that many out of a necessity, well, yeah, you got to enter in and say, help me to, Lord, to celebrate this as if it's my first, my last, and my only Mass, you know? So, uh, so Emily, I want to also uh, begin by asking about um, children. Like, children oftentimes will say, you know, I'm not sure about going to Mass, um, or, you know, they might be act disruptive. I'm thinking of the children like seven, eight, nine years old. Uh, what's your thoughts on what's going on there? <laughs> so there are a lot of things that are going on. And I think what we're going to break open in, in today's podcast is, is look at all of the different ages and stages that kids are in. Because from the youngest ones, like you mentioned, even younger than that, to middle school, high school, young adults, um, you know, we're constantly changing and the Lord is calling us in different ways. And so we want to address those different ones. But um, first of all, before I jump into this, I just, I want to invite all of you who are here. And if you're listening to maybe just think for a moment about someone, I think you're tuning into this because there's someone in your life whom you love who maybe is struggling with mass, or maybe they haven't returned to mass. Um, so I, I would like to just ask us all to kind of call those people to mind um, and just kind of hold them in our hearts. And, and I pray that as we talk that we'll be able to give some answers and hope for them. Um, and also we'll lift them up in prayer as well. Um, but for little ones, you know, this, they're at a stage where they're developing, um, their minds are scattered, you know, coming to mass is they're being still when normally they're not used to being still. I mean, even in school, everything is, you know, very much, you know, tangible and you're touching things and you're moving and, and all of a sudden, they have to stop and they have to be quiet for an hour or more, <laughs> which is kind of unheard of for that age and stage. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about some of the things that parents can do who have little ones that might be able to help prepare them for coming to Mass. Perfect. Now, some of these ideas um, are coming from Christy Quintanilla. But before we do that, I, I, wanna, I want you to imagine two different scenarios. And let's see like how this would play out on a Sunday morning. So scenario number one. So... The night before, the parents are kind of arguing about going to mass. There's a big game on TV. You know, maybe one of them doesn't want to go. Or they're, they're contemplating if they should do it virtual. But 
you know, virtual isn't really an option anymore. And so all of a sudden, like parents aren't really wanting to go. Um, so they're not prepared for mass. They wake up late. They don't have time for breakfast. They're running out the door. Like kids' clothes are mis- mismatched. They haven't been able to brush their hair. Nobody's eaten breakfast. People are, are in a bad mood. They get to the parking lot. They can't find a spot. They're Wait a second. Stressed that, out. that never happens. <laughs> it happens. I, th- that's a rarity. I would say it's like once in a blue moon, right? Are we talking about the parking lot or <laughs> <laughs> the chaotic morning? Because they happen. Um, and what and what's going on here is you arrive in that situation, and maybe you're like sneaking into a mass. You're like trying to find a pew, or you might be standing in the back. And your kid starts to wiggle and move. And as a parent, you don't want to draw any more attention to yourself, so you might say a mean word or you might shush them and all of a sudden there's no sense of sacred there's no sense of a special experience so I think we can all imagine how that scenario is going to play out and that experience of worship scenario two so the night before as a family you gather and you say hey let's break open what the Sunday scripture is going to be so we can all listen to it ahead of time let's reflect on it so you read it as a family and you can maybe even point out some words to the kids let's listen for these words let's see if Father Jason mentions these during during the prayer you tell them you know tomorrow is Sunday we got to get out our Sunday best you like pull out your clothes you get it all ready you go to sleep, you wake up, maybe you have a special breakfast, pancakes and waffles, like everyone's happy, everyone's dressed up nicely. So you get to mass on time, maybe you take some time to kneel and pray at the beginning. Um, everyone's in a good mood, so when the kids have a question or they get wiggly, you can maybe lean over and whisper to them, um, pointing out what's going on in the mass. And then you pull out your magic bag of pencils and crayons so that they can play with the kids' words and the children's missile. Think about those two situations. I already feel more at peace. I was just listening to you say that second one. I was like, man, I feel at peace. I'm ready to go. Yeah, so just the way that we prepare for it, and especially with little ones, makes such a big difference. And I've been in both. (laughs) You've probably seen me in both. (laughs) I see all things from up there. (laughs) That's true. That's why I hide behind the column when we're running late. But the way that we prepare for for little ones is so important, and it could set the stage, um, not only for the mass, but really the lifetime, because you're building the foundation when they're little about that routine. They have to go because they're little. Mom and dad are making them. But we don't want it to be about obligation. We want to be able to start creating that desire for them to be there. This is a special celebration. You know, I think one of the things that you mentioned in that second uh, scenario was that you prepared their mind and heart to uh, wonder about what they're about to experience, right? And I think that's uh, one of the big things for children that I think of is if we can create that sense of awe or wonder. You know, you think about all the scenarios surrounding uh, some of the the holidays that we have, like Christmas or uh, even uh, Easter, and there's a there's a whole set of wonder and awe around that. So if we can help them through preparedness or through our own experience uh, of showing them why we do certain things and and doing so in a way that we can uh, present like how amazing this is like this this like we have a big uh, holy water font right that's kind of uh, that people can actually go down into and baptize like wow look at this holy water font we actually can go into that font and and I can put my hand in there and you know what the someone was baptized and they, they received the life of Christ uh, through this font and how, and we get to kind of participate in that when we put our fingers in the, the water and we get to uh, place that water on our head. Right. So that kind of creates wonder and awe, And I think that will help um, uh, create this, this sense of 
of otherworldness that uh, that children need. You know, and one of the things that was mentioned to me is for some kids, they're just not used to being quiet. I mean, it's not normal. <laughs> and so sometimes it sounds strange, but like practice being quiet with them. You know, have time at home where, you know, okay, we're going to be quiet. We're going to do this activity and we're going to just whisper and, you know, show them how, you know, show them what that's about. You know, there's a sense of the sacred. Um, maybe outside of Mass, go and visit the church and, and just in little bits and pieces, helping them to be able to build up their spiritual muscles of being quiet or sitting, sitting still is very helpful. And another thing is with little ones, they have no, no concept of time. I mean, I know my children are asking me, like, we just get there. And it's like the opening, opening song. And is it almost over? <laughs> no. Um, they never say, say that during my homily. <laughs> no. Of course not. <laughs> That's Ojus over there. <laughs> Only Ojus says that. I, no. I do. <laughs> yeah. No, but part of it is there's no sense of time. So even just helping them to understand the order of the mass, you know, for those who are old enough to read, if you have the children's missal with them, don't answer them in minutes, you know, looking at your, your Catholic watch. Oh, mass is an hour. It's 30 minutes more. No, no, let's explain to them. Well, first of all, they're going to bring up the gifts and then there's going to be the consecration and then we're going to go up and, you know, receive the Eucharist. And so kind of talk to them that way so they could see the movements um, and they could see kind of the natural flow of what's going on. But just being patient with them, I think that's one of the things for parents of little ones is that we need to be patient um, because we also want the spiritual experience. It's going to be different. You know, we can't just ignore our children. <laughs> like, I'm here, God. Um, we need to be present to the moment. But being able to help them enter into it as well is one of the key things for having little children. Now, how important is consistency? Yeah, so I think a big piece of it, um, you know, we're building that foundation. So being able to come, of course, on a weekly basis, um, you know, preferred mass time that you know that they're going to not be too cranky, that you're not going to be rushing out of the house. Um, I think that is a really big key to being able to come um, on a weekly basis and helping them to build up that experience of coming to know the Lord. Excellent. Very good. So that's uh, for the for our little ones, right? So that's for our children. I think um, a lot of that is just helping them be prepared, the consistency, helping them enter into that moment of all, and sharing your own experience of how... Um, you know, some of it might be on our part. We might have to kind of look for that mystery or and, and try to f share that mystery that we're looking for and helping them to experience that right. So, um, but there's a whole nother group of children out there, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those, uh, something happens uh, a little different when they start to turn to 10 or 11 years old, what we call the tweens, and then turn into teens. So, uh, you know, th that's where uh, Ogis becomes uh, an expert uh, at uh, this, <laughs> this area. So... It's because I act like them. <laughs> yeah, you know, there is some truth to that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> For sure. Anyway, um, so, Ogis, like... You know, a lot of times you hear from uh, from our, our tweens or our, our teens, you'll start to hear them say, you know, mom, dad, I, I don't, I don't want to go to church. I, I don't find it uh, fun or it's not entertaining or it's boring. It's boring or whatever. And so um, what's going on in the mind of a, a tween, a 11, 12, 13 year old? Uh, first off, no one actually knows what's going <laughs> off in their minds, but uh, good answer. <laughs> I think part of it is, is, in their own development, they're now looking at their peers as the people they want to associate with. They're, they're moving away from their parents and their parents' expectations of them and trying to discover who they are by what their friends do. Um, so when they start to rebel 
if you will, in these moments, it's not because they're officially running away from the faith. It's they're testing the boundaries. They're, they're trying to figure out, is this something that I want to do? Um, Cause we know it's this, it's at this age that they start to make these decisions. Yes. Um, so when we look at it, you're still the parent, right? You, you hold these expectations that you've created when they were children. And while they live under your roof, you can still say, Hey, it's our expectation that we're going to mass every Sunday. It's our expectation that uh, we will talk about it before or after. Um, they are going to roll their eyes. They are going to get frustrated. But you've created that consistency and that um, that part of it. But it's also looking at their own community. Again, they're, they're looking at their friends. They're looking at, okay, I have more fun with my friends than I do with my family because I can be somebody different. Um, so finding a group of young families that are around your age that's a huge thing because now they're saying, oh, that family's going after mass. Maybe we'll all go go out to breakfast together. Maybe mm-hmm. this is going to happen. And you're creating these positive moments that they're going to start to associate with the mass as opposed to just saying, I'm going to mass, I'm sitting quietly, and then I'm leaving. Um, but now they're also thinking, and a lot of times we don't like to give them more responsibility. We want to, but we don't know if they can handle it. And so we kind of pull back from it, but this is actually the time we should be um, going a little bit deeper than, okay, now it's the offertory. Now it's, this is happening. Why is this happening? Why are they, why are our postures doing this? Why are we looking at the ambo during the proclamation of the gospel and being able to go a little bit deeper and understanding it, they're ready for that. And when we start unpacking, unpacking the mystery of the mass, there's a beauty that can start being shown to them and they're going to start to ask more and more questions, hopefully. So going a little bit farther than just expressing kind of mystery or wonder at what's going on, you're actually beginning to to speak and teach what the actual parts of the Mass is about. Yeah, you want to go deeper, um, and it's through going deeper that we're going to bring back that sense of wonder that we start to lose when we grow up. Yes. So I think uh, also uh, one of the things that uh, we've talked a lot, Ojas, about this, and I know Katie and I have talked too, is that the, you know, one of the moments that the, uh, a, in life that someone begins to question their faith is around 10 or 11 years old, right? Yeah. It's the very beginning where someone begins to say, is this real? Is it, is there truth here? Is there? And so I think one of the things, to, if someone is saying mass is, if a teenager or, or tween is saying, you know, mass is boring, I don't want to go. And instead of just saying you're going no matter what, um, and that's it, I think it's an invitation Mm-hmm. To look a little bit deeper, right? Yeah, it, it's... Why are they saying this? It, you want to go and understand, okay, what is holding them back? What is all this? And it's also changing our terminology, right? Katie and I were talking about it earlier today. We're no longer forcing our kids. We are inviting them. We are encouraging them. We are changing that language to be more positive because it's going to play in completely in their experience. Um, part of it is the preparation you know, we don't have to sit there and say, hey, we have to prepare as a family and do this. Continue to do that. It's always a beautiful thing when the family is preparing for mass together, but allowing them to have some individuality in how they prepare or what they process or, or things just by themselves shows them that you trust them. And mm-hmm. now with that trust, they're like, okay, they trust me here in the mass. Maybe I want to continue to build on that. Indeed, indeed. Do you, Emily or Katie, do you have anything else to add on that? 
I would say, I think sometimes that can be intimidating for parents. You know, maybe if their teenager is asking questions about the mass, the parent could be intimidated by, do I know these answers about the mass? But I think that we live in a time period where, you know, our Catholic resources has just boomed, right? So you can Google literally um, or search on YouTube, you know, why do we do this in the Catholic mass? And you can find a legitimate Catholic resource um, to help explain those things. You know, there's great resources out there that we like to advertise in our parish, like Formed, um, Ascension Press, Ave Maria Press, so many different ones. So I would encourage any parents that are feeling intimidated by, I don't know if I can answer all of my teen's questions. Maybe this could be an opportunity where the teen and the parent could learn together. You know, maybe you dive into a series on the mass that you find on YouTube or on Formed together. You watch it together um, and then you can share discussion about it. So I think sometimes that can hold parents back in our experience is what if a teen asks questions that I don't know the answer to because I never learned that answer growing up. So I think just not being afraid to look for the answer and knowing that there's a lot of great resources out there. If a parent knew all the answers, they should be hosting this podcast, right? So, <laughs> exactly. There um, we go. If you know, please come talk to us. We'd love to have <laughs> you on here. <laughs> One of the things I was thinking about that is important too for that age is that the, that's the stage when they can start getting more involved and even serving themselves. So whether they would be an altar server or maybe in the choir or a greeter, sometimes just allowing them to be able to have their space um, and be able to get engaged so they have a little bit of skin in the game, that might be a good option too for that age. And I, I want to say too, it's a it's a it's an opportunity for parents to be vulnerable with their their children as well, right? So as as you move into the teenage years, it's very important for a, a parent to be able to say about their own experience and say, you know what, you know, I wasn't the person that always had it together, right? <laughs> of course, <you're, laughs> no one has it together, but but to be real and be truthful and and even share some experiences of one's own life, right? Of how maybe there was a time that one didn't go to mass or didn't find mass uh, very fulfilling. And why was that the case, right? Um, I think this is also a point in time, and, and this is where we can get into some things that are very effective for those who are uh, young adults as well. It's also a point of time to really point out that being Catholic doesn't mean that we just go to Mass for no reason, right? Mm-hmm. What is the Mass about? It, you know, and ultimately, a lot of times, if a lot of times people stop wanting to go to Mass because there's a lack of encountering Christ Jesus. They don't know who Jesus is, right? And they don't know. Um, how to encounter him in prayer. They haven't encountered him in prayer. They don't know what it is to, to have this relationship with the living Lord. And instead of just harping and saying, you know what, how am I going to get my, my son or my daughter to Mass? They haven't been to Mass for um, three years now, and, and, or they, re- you know, they struggle every single time. Perhaps it's a point of reflection to stop and say, you know, I wonder if part of this is a struggle to know who Jesus is or know that God is alive and real and concrete and part of their life, right? I think that's a great point because right now, you know, across the United States, probably, you know, globally, you see such a decrease in percentage 
of people attending Sunday Mass since the start of the pandemic. So it's not just, I mean, there's somebody's children out there who are not coming back to Mass. And I think that's right. Like our, our goal as parents should be not just that checklist, like attendance, they're physically present, but how can we give them that encounter with Christ so that they can deepen that relationship and desire to come back? Um, because as you mentioned, Father Jason, it's, it's, not just, it's not just about them you know, being here or not. So I think that's something that's really important. And I think as we move to look at young adults, then we can maybe dig into that a little bit deeper. You know, you say that, and uh, and I so wholeheartedly agree. You know, a lot of times that's what we talk about. Like if you talk with uh, older um, parents who say, you know, my, my son or daughter's not coming to church and I want them to come to church. And that's kind of code language to say they're not active, right? They're not part of the faith life. And, but, you know, we we don't want them just simply to be at mass. I've seen plenty of uh, teenagers or, or young adults at mass and they're playing, um, I don't know, um, angry birds on their phone. Well, that's so old school, right? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> they're not playing angry birds. <laughs> their grandma and grandpa is playing angry birds, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're, they're doing something. They're present in the church, but they're not actually, uh, entering into the worship, right? And what we want for our, our young adults and our, our children, whether they're adults or teenagers, is we want them to enter into the act of worship. And the only way to enter into the act of worship, truthfully, is to really know who Jesus is, right? Father Jason, I want to highlight what you said about um, authenticity being so important for teenagers. I think that's very true. I think teens have a gift that they can pick up immediately if someone's not being authentic, right? Like if someone's just trying to fake it till you make it kind of thing. Um, it's a special gift that teens have. And so I think as much as parents can demonstrate to their teen that they are authentically living the faith. And if that means you're starting at step number one and you're like, okay, tomorrow I will start living my faith authentically for the sake of my teen. And you're not at level 10, like that's okay. Right. But you got to start somewhere. And I know thinking back to my own childhood, like what made the biggest impression for me was when I did see my parents, you know, it wasn't just them taking us to Sunday mass. It was when they lived the faith during the week or when we talked about the faith at home or when I saw my mom go to a adoration hour at church during the week um, or my dad do something service related with the nights, you know? So I think those things have definitely left an imprint in my mind. So it is important for parents to talk about, you know, mention the name of Jesus, mention the name of God in your home um, in a positive way, <laughs> um, not just when you stub your toe. And I was going to ask you, Katie, like, like how <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> not just when you stub your toe. That's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, how, what does it mean to, to live out your faith right at home? I mean, that because that's ultimately that the fruit of uh, a desire to want to go to mass is comes forth from that that life of faith at home right i think establishing which this is something you can do when the kids are younger i think establishing family routines like family faith routines at home so whether that's praying together before dinner right praying together praying together before the meal maybe it's closing the night in prayer together Maybe it's once a week you're praying a decade of a rosary together. Um, I know that families, especially families with teens, are very busy, right? So it might be like, this isn't realistic, you know, to do a holy hour every day with your family. But trying to think of something small of maybe we all come together and we share intentions and we say a Hail Mary together right after dinner. Um, something where you can just establish 
you know, this is a part of our regular life. It's not just something we check the box on Sunday. So that way your teen can see this, your faith is a part of every aspect of your life, you know, not just Sunday church. What was the prayer before meals that you guys had growing up? What would you guys say? Oh, we said, we said the blessed so Lord. Really? Prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. My family was as the quickest prayer possible. Rub a da da. Thank God for the grub. You know, I mean, it was about this simple. God is great. God is good. We thank Him for the food. Amen. All right. You know, four boys. That's what happens. Actually, <laughs> I remember. Came out of that. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, you go. So. <laughs> Absolutely. You start somewhere, right? <laughs> I remember my mom when I was in middle school. She wanted us to start adding intentions after we said the "Bless us, O Lord" prayer together. She wanted us to like do it as a family, but of course she would be like the only one adding intentions at first. And then she would just like wait and like look at us. <laughs> so we were like, okay. Was like the food like hot right in front of you? Yeah. And, and we had to add those intentions. Man, that's like all monastic for? or something. You know, I remember going to a monastery one time. It was penitential. They would like, okay, the food, it was all hot. And it was smelling so good. You could see the steam coming and all the spices. And you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so ready to eat this. And they're like, and now a reading from the Holy Gospel. And was like, no. <laughs> really? Anyhow, I don't know if that's wise for teenagers, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe don't make it too long. Maybe don't make it too long. All right. So anyway, we're having too much fun here. Okay. So we're. I want to talk about a couple books that are very important. I think everyone should read these books, Who any adult who really wants to bring the faith to their children. Okay. So uh, the first one is a book by Sherry Waddell. Uh, she wrote it in 2012 called Forming Intentional Disciples. Uh, a lot of you guys might have heard this book. It's been well received and well spoken of. One of my favorite verses in that book is God does not have any grandchildren. And uh, a lot of people might like, what? What do you mean by that? God has no grandchildren? Well, it means because everyone is a child of God, right? You can't cling to your parents' faith. You are. You have to have your own faith in God as a son or daughter of the Father, right? So that's a, the first book, Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Waddell. Another one that just kind of came out a couple of years ago, which kind of broke into the scene, which was huge, is From Christendom to Apostolic Mission by University by the University of Mary. And this basically highlights the fact that we are no longer in Christendom. Can you believe that? (laughs) I mean, of course, we just have to look into the news and we realize that. But no, we're no longer in a Christendom, meaning a culture of Christianity. We're much more like uh, the culture of the Roman Empire during the time of um, apostolic mission when the apostles went out with fervor and strength to go and announce good news. So we need to be able to look at our lives and and our families and how we speak of the faith according to that light. And the third book, which... We'll be using quite a bit uh, of the rest of this uh, presentation from is from Brandon Volt uh, in 2021. He wrote a book called Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. Uh, Brandon Vogt in 2021. Brandon Vogt is part of the, he has, he's a content editor for Word on Fire Ministries, you know, the um, the Bishop Robert Barron um, Productions. So, he really knows his stuff, and he has some great information in that book. It's, special, it's specifically oriented towards uh, parents who have young adults uh, who have drifted from the faith. And so that's what we're going to be talking about now. We've talked about uh, the children, how to encourage children to really want to be at Mass uh, with awe and wonder, consistency, uh, pre- preparation, and, and planning. Talked about uh, tweens and teens and how to help them to— uh, 
receive the most out of mass. A lot of things that we, the teenagers, um, that, that we think about when it comes to the teenagers, we can also utilize the same kind of methodology for young adults, but it's uh, uh, much more important to, uh, to enter into that relationship first and foremost. So um, there's this great quote by Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Maybe that's why I wear my socks. Because <laughs> I was wearing, I, I was uh, thinking about Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Anyway, this quote, um, of course, this is back uh, in the 50s and 60s. There are not over 100 people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church. There are millions, however, who hate what they wrongly believe to be the Catholic Church, which is, of course, quite a different thing. So the deal is, is that most of our young adults, um, they have decided to leave the practice of the faith based off of ignorance, ultimately. They have decided to leave, for the most part, because they have made this decision without really knowing all the the facts, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard um, somebody, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that say that, you know, the the largest church in the United States is Catholic Church. The second largest church are fallen away Catholics. So I think there might be some truth to that and the fact that you said that just the, they're fallen away and whether it means because they haven't been catechized or maybe because they just haven't become disciples is something that we can take a look at. Um, and I think it's really important to know for parents, especially who have older children who have fallen away from the church or like on that cusp, is that we always have hope and we only need to look to St. Monica and St. Augustine and just the power of prayer and persistence and patience um, that anything is possible. You know, my mom used to, uh, you guys know my story where, you know, I drifted when I was in in high school and then the hound of heaven started uh, reaching out to me uh, when I was 18 or 19. But my mom always uh, prayed that uh, all her boys would meet good Catholic women. So <laughs> you met the church. I met the you church. Met the the, exactly. The blessed mother, you know? So anyway, um, yeah, there's some stats here, which is kind of, uh, interesting. I, I want to throw out. Uh, so one of the things that, uh, uh so this is a, a survey done. Um, it's written in, in Brandon Vogt's book. It's a survey that talks about those who have decided to, to leave the Catholic church. 49% are unaffiliated, what we call the nuns, right? 49, so that's 49% of those who decided to, to leave the church are unaffiliated. 25% have uh, decided to go to the evangelical churches, you know, the big box churches where they have all the entertainment, the lights and the, the band and the rock music and good coffee bars and, and all those type of things. Uh, and then uh, 13% have gone to mainline Protestants. A lot of times that's looked at as just a stepping stone to uh, lacking, uh, to falling away completely uh, to unaffiliated. And then 13% are more intentional joining particularly other religions and um, or being atheist in their decision-making. So, but that's a big number, 49% going into just a, a simple complacency or uh, unaffiliated. And so the question is, why is that? What are the reasons for these um, people, Catholics, our sons, our daughters, uh, slipping away from the church as adults? That's a, a, a big, big thing. The, and there, and Brandon Volt um, says six main reasons. Um, and I think these are an important reasons. I think they're for us to look at because this is important for uh, the um, parents to be able to um, speak of and understand a little bit more when they have these conversations with their children. Number one, uh, they, their upbringing was just a simple cultural Catholicism. So the idea was that 
oh yeah, just if you just kind of go uh, to church every once in a while and um, go to faith formation, and you're going to live a lifelong Catholicity, right? So we know that's not the truth. Uh, that doesn't really happen, or just the uh, the complacency, like you know, I, that's really run amok right now in uh, Generation Z and, and millennials. Just uh, I think it's almost a despondency of of life in general that whole idea of i'm spiritual but not religious i don't know if you guys have heard that idea at yes. all yeah, <laughs> yeah i think there's a big movement of it's kind of the new age spirituality but um talking about the universe you know and different energies and just being spiritual so you're attuned to the spiritual truths of the universe but you're not associating it with a religion yes yeah or with christianity I think that's also, uh, I think that's basically, you know, I get to call the shots, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I'm, I, I, I want to uh, choose. And then you have uh, people who leave because of moral issues. It's, and once again, that's ignorance on why those uh, issues are Im important to the church. And then um, skeptics as well, uh, where, you know, that they just never have had that answer question. St. Augustine was in that realm, right? And St. Monica introduced St. Augustine to St. Ambrose. And St. Ambrose is the first person that actually was able to speak intelligibly to uh, St. Augustine so that he was able to begin to recognize that, that Christianity wasn't just some fairy tales, but had some meat to it, some strength to it. So uh, these are the kind of primary reasons why someone might fall away from the, the Catholic Church. I do want to kind of go back to the moral movers. You said it was ignorance, and, and yes, there is that group, but it's also not just ignorance from them, the ones that are falling away. It's also the ignorance of us and those that are trying to catechize. Do we actually know what we're saying, and are we confident enough to actually share that? I mean, I know people in my own family that have gone away because their catechist told them incorrect things, and they didn't agree with it. You know, like, yeah, they, they should have followed up and, and try to find the truth, but it does fall into that. So I think a little bit with, with all these switching, especially when they're young adults is based on their past experiences. And now that they're independent, they're going to use that as their excuse to, to not try to find something. Yes. Emily, what's some myths that uh, we hear about uh, that sometimes we will talk about uh I don't know that you'll hear at a cocktail party or something about a wayward child uh, when, who's not practicing the faith. Yeah, I, I guess there's the sense that, you know, oh, it's just common for young people when they go off to college or, you know, to kind of look for their own thing, but they'll come back eventually. And they're, they're kind of a list of myths that people say, although the way that our society is right now, it's not actually true anymore. So myth number one, they will come back when married with kids. Now, we used to see that, I mean, even here at the church, like there are people, there are people who come back, um, one, because they want to get married in the Catholic church, or two, because they want to baptize their child, and so they're trying to figure out how to make that happen. So that happens, but not with the regularity that has happened in the past, especially because people are waiting so much later in life to get married. You know, it's kind of like, that's the end of what I want to do. It's not going to be the springboard from like going into adulthood is getting married and then, you know, seeing seeing the world, getting my profession, it's they want to do everything else first. And then when it's everything's a nice, tidy package, they'll get married. So when they wait so long to do that, statistically, it's less likely for them to come back, even for that point. I mean, many people will cohabitate or just get married civilly or not at all. So mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's myth number one. 
And then I think I mentioned this earlier, the idea that um, sometimes uh, p- parents in these uh, parties will say something like, I don't know what's going on. I, I, you know, my kids, you know, they're not going to church. Because I, I, you know, they, I took them to Mass and, and they gave them a Catholic school education. And, and I thought that's all that was needed, right? Yeah, so that's a big one. Um, you know, I think a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of parents, especially if you put your child through Catholic school and you're making that financial sacrifice to do that, um, but it is actually very common that kids who go to Catholic school, they're getting a great education and they're getting a lot of knowledge about the Catholic faith. But depending on the school and the program, a lot of times they don't have campus ministers. They're not having that encounter. They're not truly having that heart experience, having the head, the knowledge of, of the religion, but they're not encountering Christ. And without that relationship, it just kind of falls apart. And I've seen that a lot, you know, with through youth ministry, maybe Katie O just still does, um, you know, that the ones who have gone to Catholic school, unfortunately, are the ones that are not coming back. Although when I was reading through Brandon Vaught's um, stuff, he did also say that even those kids that went to youth group, it's kind of the same thing, sadly. Um, so that doesn't mean like just because they go to church with you, just because they're going to youth group or Catholic faith, that doesn't mean that they're going to have faith as an adult. They have to be able to have that experience um, and truly become a disciple. And we're not saying these to make people sad and worried, but we do want to throw <laughs> them out there so that we can address them. You, you know, and I, I want to th- throw out the last thing that someone might say is, it's hopeless, they will never come back. That's ridiculous, right? <laughs> I mean, our faith is filled with hope. I mean, that's, that's what our, our faith is, right? We are filled with hope. And so the thing is, is we, we put out these myths because a lot of times we might think, uh, because there should be an impetus within our, our lives to say, you know what, I, there's something I can do now to help my, my children, my adult children uh, make a change. So I do want to um, uh, talk about uh, kind of why I think there's five steps to this. And you know, I think the first step is very important. The first step is preparing yourself, okay? I like to say that it's uh, preparing. If you want to look at this, like, uh, you know, preparing to plant a, a, a plant in, a, in, the, in your backyard or in, your, in a garden or something like that and seeing that plant grow, et cetera, and the kind of like the faith life grow. First, you might have it in a little uh, container and, and, and take care of it and everything. So the first thing is preparing to plant, learning all about what it means to have faith. And, you know, you can't have, a, as a parent, you can't have a conversation with your adult child if, if you don't know what's, what's going, uh, what's the faith talking about. So, so first and foremost, this is so important, is to pray. Uh, pray for your child, pray for your own faith, uh, and uh, begin interceding for uh, this whole process of being able to talk with your child. I think also uh, begin looking up different aspects of, of the faith. So if you're like on a level one of practice of the faith, and you're you're waking up to say, no, how can I how can I reach out to my my children who are no longer practicing? Well, it means going deeper in the faith yourself, learning a little bit more, and even asking yourself uh, questions like, why am I Catholic? Right. So if you ask yourself those questions, and you begin to say, okay, this is why I'm Catholic, and I can create my own story, my own testimony, my own. Uh, I can speak of why I have chosen to be Catholic, why I, I love the faith, why I want my child to be Catholic. That goes a huge way to be able to share that later on. And finally, uh, I think it's so important if you're in this pe- position as a parent to find someone that can support you as you 
start to make this process, as you prepare to uh, help your child uh, come to know the faith. So the second one that I, I think is important is planting the seed, okay? Uh, so, you know, you plant it in a little tiny pot and so that it can grow, so you can nurture it a little bit more. And this is like building relational trust, right? So uh, this doesn't have to do with faith. You know, if, you, if your child is, is um, away from uh, the church and you, you see that they're not happy and you want to help them, know the love of Jesus. Well, the last thing you should do at this point is go up to them and say, I want to tell you all about the love of Jesus Christ and how he will make a change in your life like he made a change in mine, right? Because they're off in college. They just had four years or five years, or maybe they, they are living with their girlfriend or boyfriend and they've had a child already, or maybe they're whatever. They need to know that you love them where they're at and that they have a relationship with you. So it might mean that you learn about their music or their hobbies or their their sports team or whatever it might be, right? This is good for teenagers too, but developing that relationship is most important. Right, because ultimately our parents are the ones that reflect the love of God to us and our idea of God. So I think that it's important as a parent to make sure that um, that your even your young adult or your adult child knows that that you still love them unconditionally as much as we can as humans love unconditionally. Um, so that way they feel that trust of, okay, mom and dad aren't judging me cause I'm not going to mass. Like they still care about my everyday life and I can go to them with things. Yes, indeed. So you're like your, let's say your daughter says, you know, mom and dad, I'm pregnant. Well, welcome her into your home. Right. And say, hey, we can, we're, we're going to provide this moment of hospitality for you. We're going to help you. We love you so much. What, what can I do to help you in this moment, right? And then try to help her see the, the beauty of the child and, and the love of, of God through that child, right? So to me, I think that's very important to have that relationship. Uh, a lot of parents will go um, the opposite direction and try to force faith in that moment. But that relationship is so important to cultivate. And I think what you said with the first step, which is the prayer, that's going to be what's going to help parents through this time. Because I, I agree. I think for parents of young adults and adults whose children have fallen away from the church, I think this is the one that they probably get caught up on the most because if they don't agree with whatever their child is doing or they just feel to blame, you know, like, what did I do wrong? We, you know, we grew up in this church. I think that is a really hard one to be able to continue to love and, and also just to remember that it's not about our timing, but about God's timing. And I, you know, I go back to St. Monica who, who St. Augustine, you know, had a child, (laughs) I think out of wedlock, you know, he was doing some not so great things. Um, and I think at one point, you know, she was just ready to give up and God kind of told her like, no, (laughs) like hold on to hope. And she actually took classes. She studied theology and philosophy to be able to talk to him in a way that he could understand. And then with St. Ambrose, but just, um, I really encourage you, if you're in that place, to just cling to the Lord and in your prayers, just offer it to him. Offer your child, pray for your children, and also for yourself that he just gives you the grace to be able to communicate with them, um, which is part, 
one of the next pieces of this is that communication is not just talking or nagging, but listening to your children. Yes, indeed. So that was that. So after kind of creating that relational trust, if you will, then uh, then you can start the conversation. We call that. Uh, watering the seeds or, you know, so you plant the seeds and the little things and now you're watering the seeds and uh, so that they can start to grow. And so this is really, you know, I think most of us have a hard time with active listening. And this is ultimately what it is, is really allowing them to, to speak. So, you know, some of the questions might be like, tell me what kind of role faith played with you while growing up. Um, how important was faith in your life? You know, and having the ears to listen and to see, okay, wow, even though we did a family holy hour every single week, it something didn't take root in you, you know? And so I think that's important to be able to listen uh, to the answers of these questions. Or what makes you happy? Or can you describe what it means to be Catholic? Or um, a really powerful question, what do you believe about God? Or why do you think that um, this or that is true? Or how did you come to believe in what you just said, right? These are follow-up questions to be able to help let them know that you're listening to them and where they're at. Because I think they already have conditioned themselves to say, you are coming from this perspective, right? And this this is what we call... Um, pre-charismatic um, uh, conversation. It, it's get, ha- helping someone get to the point where they'll be able to receive the good news. And so this is very important to be able to uh, listen, uh, not only because your child is your child and you want to understand them more and all that, right? But because for them to understand that they can open up and share really what's going on in their life, where you can then share the good news of Jesus in that moment, uh, they have to be able to know that you're going to listen to them and understand them. Yeah, I think that's a great point where you could actually practice what our Blessed Mother teaches us about pondering things in our heart. Because if you ask these big questions, you know, what's the biggest thing keeping you away from the church? And they answer, and it's something that you don't want to hear. We can't put on our defenses. We just need to listen. And we need, need to be able to be like Mary and just ponder those things and listen to them and pray about them. And we don't need to have a response, but we just need to be able to be present to them in that moment. And not only Mary, but even St. Joseph. Did he ever speak? No. <laughs> um, so it's it's definitely that listening and, and just taking in not just what they're saying, but also then listening for the response from God. Because you want to take that, like you said, pondering in your heart and taking it to God before you do anything. Which takes a lot of self-control, right? you got to pray for self-control to not get defensive. Indeed. You know, the next, the next thing I would say is uh, you need to prune the little plant. So you're, you're starting this conversation. Now, sharing uh, the joy of the good news of, that you've experienced. You know, we talked about earlier getting ready with your testimony and your story of faith, right? So now it's sharing uh, joyfully your stories of faith with them. Maybe asking a little bit more difficult questions um, about faith. So Brandon Volk calls it the shoe pebble questions. Something like, what do you think is the strongest evidence of God? right? A good, good starting point. You know, it's logic. It's going in the head. It's helping them. You don't have to have an answer right then and there, but just to have them start to think about what is this 
uh, I need to respond to that. That's a question maybe I haven't thought of, right? So, and this conversation will continue, but you're, you're going a little bit deeper uh, in this conversation. You're still listening, but you're also being more proactive, and you're beginning to insert the good news of the faith uh, when the time is right. So with every situation, it's going to be a little bit different, right? This isn't like a step-by-step manual. We're, it, it's going to be, you know, you have a, some extra time at a family gathering at this moment, and then maybe you have a phone call a little bit later. Maybe you, you just focus on the phone call and on the commonalities and, and talk about how you, you really like the lead singer of Megadeth, and I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's a big jump to that one. <laughs> I don't I You're like, where did you just come up with that? Anyway, I don't know where I came up with it. But anyway, so, um, but you're, 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 you're bouncing around a little bit, but the, the point is as a, as a parent wanting the child to have greater faith, you have to be able to begin to bring the good news into that conversation. Right. And then finally, this is, this is where, uh, I would say it's taking the little sapling out of the little container and planting it in the ground. Okay. This is where you're asking a response from your your son or your daughter. A lot of times, um, Catholics, we don't go to this next level. We'll get to these the first four steps, but we won't go to the next one. And Marcel Lejeune, one of the great um, speakers and evangelists in the church in, in Texas, says, Catholics stop too soon when they evangelize. In fact, I might call it a fatal flaw. You need to close the deal by asking the question, would you like to make the choice to turn your heart over to God? Would you be willing to invite Jesus into your life? Now, that might sound really weird uh, uh, coming from a parent to an adult child, but if you've gone through these other steps and you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that you are asking them right then and there to make that, but it's giving them the idea that, Wow, you know what? I need to do this. And if they, if you've had them question at, at this point, now you can uh, bring the ultimate question: like, will you give your life over to Christ? Ultimately, that will be the next step. After that, they'll say, "Well, what do I do now? I've just done this. Go to the priest for confession. Uh, start." Uh, going to Mass, and the Mass will open up in a way you'll never have known, right? So those are the steps for adult children. I don't know about you, but I, it's not easy. It's not going to be streamlined. It's not going to be these perfect steps. But they, these are the steps that need to kind of take place in order for someone to move towards faith. And ultimately, if we're going to be an agent to help them move towards faith. And I think prayer is important, you know, during the whole process. I know when there's been moments where I've had to have a hard conversation with a teen or with a friend, you know, it's praying, okay, Lord, you know, open the opportunity, like for me to have this conversation, you know, like make the space available where I can bring this difficult topic up. So I think knowing that it's only by God's grace that someone returns to the church, right? It's not necessarily by, um, if we do everything perfectly, so I think making sure that you're grounding the whole process in prayer and just asking the Lord, please open this opportunity with me and my child, you know, make this conversation a possibility. You mean I can't just put someone in a headlock and say, you're going to come into the church. No, you can do that. <laughs> it's not the most effective, but you can s- please do it. Okay. <laughs> and something else I want to say is that, 
you know, we're talking about parents, what parents can do, but it takes a community to raise a child. So a lot of times, even Jesus, you know, like within his own town, they didn't want to listen to him. So sometimes even though we hear these steps, maybe God's calling you to help a friend's older child to be that other person to talk to them and have those conversations. I mean, I have a teenager who all of a sudden I'm not cool anymore and he doesn't want to talk to me, but he'll talk to Ogis, you know, so... I can send him his way. Oh, just you're cool. <laughs> He's cool, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while, so it feels good. <laughs> and the, the same thing with with having you know young adults or adult children is you know we try that we you know our best, but we also place it in God's hands, and maybe someone else is going to be that person who's going to be the activator, and maybe we're going to be the activator for somebody else. So just be open to the Holy Spirit and how they're guiding you. Amen. So, you know, we've been going on for a while, so I think it's time for some tools. We always give tools at these these things, right? So. Emily, do you have some tools for us? Yes. Yeah, so we covered a lot of information. So just a couple of tools, like starting out age-wise, developmentally, prepare for mass. So as a parent, it's your job to prepare your family for mass. So whatever, whether that means fitting it into your schedule, packing those crayons and pencils into your bag. Magic um, bag. <laughs> or taking time to reflect on the scripture. Make sure that you prepare for mass. Um, tool number two, engage your child in mass. So this means that you might be able, you may have to, softly whisper to them and explain to them what's going on in mass just so that they can get connected. So just make that intention to help engage them in mass. And then I would say number three um, with our adolescents and our teens is be willing to talk to them, to enter into conversation and answer their faith questions. Father Jason, I know there's more. Oh, you're you're throwing it my way now. (laughs) Okay, I gotcha. Okay, so no, the next one would be, uh, you know, specifically for adults, I think, uh, enter into that relationship and, and conversation. Um, be vulnerable with your story of faith as well. You know, so if, if you haven't come up with your story of faith, if you don't know how to be able to speak your story in faith in three minutes, then, you know, you uh, come up with that story that you can share uh, with your with your child. But you can't go wrong having uh, hum- humility and sharing uh, your own journey of faith. Great. So that's, uh, that's I, should, should I do another one? If you have another one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a, a great uh, MC Hammer said, you got to pray just to make it today, right? So <laughs> <It's> uh, <laughs> you got to pray, pray. I'm so, I'm, I'm so 1980s. You're dating yourself with these references, <laughs> Father Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Megadeth, MC Hammer. Okay. No. Um, so I just have too much fun with this. So anyway, no, the, we mentioned very clearly that prayer is the whole uh, means through which anything's going to happen, you know, so I can't put someone in a headlock and say, you're going in the water and, and well, I guess I could, but I get arrested. Right. So, um, but we, <laughs> we baptize them. I was going to say, look like the vigil. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, um, I think the, the important thing is, uh, that we pray and say, okay, Holy spirit, you're the one that's going to use me as an instrument. Help me to grow in my own faith and help, um, help that person that I, I want to reach out to. So that's the the most important tool. Great. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank um, Ochis and Katie, both of you for coming, for being able to offer your experience and your input on this topic. And we will do a Q&A after the closing. So we want to just thank all of you at home for listening to this episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. We're all a work in progress. So be sure to tune in next time to gain new tools to help you build the church at home. And I pray God's blessing to be upon each of you and upon those people that we have held in our hearts during this conversation. May mighty God bless each of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.